When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to be back this week and to be joined by Dominic Booth. Hi, Rich. And by Tyrone Marshall. Hello. How are you both doing? This is the first podcast we've done in a few weeks. There's been there's been some there's been reasoning for it, um, rotor issues. The fact there's not been football for three months, but next week, finally, football is coming home. Dom. United versus Spurs. How excited are you? I mean, it's, it seemed like it was never going to happen. Almost like, yeah, I'm so used to writing about football that's not happened. It's going to be really nice, isn't it? From a sort of really selfish perspective, that football is back and we're going to have a focus. We're going to have week to week, even more regularly than that, two games a week probably to talk about and to maybe not go to because of the restrictions, but to um, certainly watch and report on and analyse. So yeah, it's uh, it's really good news, isn't it? And I think it's good news for the for the country on a in a sort of wider sense that things seem to be sort of ticking slowly towards normality again. Um, yeah, it's been really weird, hasn't it? I've actually forgotten what you two sound like, and I was beginning to wonder if you'd all disappeared and been replaced by robots. So it's actually quite uh, nice to have that affirmation that you're still there. Well, yeah, I mean, some people say my personality is quite robotic anyway, but uh, can't help that. You know, that's just <laughs> a, a robot I would be better than yours, though, Rick. Uh, yeah, robots exactly. get more done, wouldn't they? <laughs> they would, and they'd be much more efficient, far less typos as well. But that's my quirk. I'm that guy. Ty, yourself, I know, I know we've spoken uh, through uh, the coronavirus pandemic, and I know um, I think political figures have said it as well, that football coming back will be a morale boost to the whole country. Obviously, it had to happen when it's safe to do so. It's got to a, a process now where it is deemed safe to do so. The test results coming back are, are very minimal, and if not none at all. So for yourself, do you have any concerns about the way football will be played next week? I mean, maybe in terms of atmosphere and stuff. I know Arsene Wenger said it's going to be uh, maybe a, ha- a handicap so whether used to the Premier League saying that clubs are really going to suffer from not having the home fans in and the lack of atmosphere. United today have announced they're going to be one of the clubs who's going to have sort of one of these digital mosaics in the ground for when United are playing at home. But yourself, I mean, it might be football back, but I, I know we've been watching games as often as we can. I've been watching Bundesliga games, but I just find it so hard to concentrate and get excited about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be, it's undoubtedly going to be strange, especially for, I mean, I'm not sure the Premier League is, is quite the kind of atmospheric myth that it's made out to be at times. I know Arsene Wenger said it, in the biggest games, you can get a brilliant atmosphere, but, you know, I, I think, I'm not sure it's quite as loud and intimidating as it, always is for you know for low-key games I think I think that's slightly overplayed at times but obviously there is an atmosphere there and playing in a you know for United playing in a 75,000 seat stadium with only 300 people or so there and all of them being officials and, and media and whatnot it's going to be a very very strange experience I mean fundamentally the game doesn't change but the environment around it does I mean from what we've seen in, in the Bundesliga it doesn't seem like it's Apart from there being more away wins, it doesn't seem like much has really changed in terms of how the sport's played, and you probably wouldn't expect it to. I mean, these are you know players at the very top level at the top of their game, so it, although it'd be weird onto the kind of in that bubble on the pitch, but you know it, it's debatable how much they hear and how much they're aware of their surroundings 
anyway, it's going to be echoey and, and quite strange and, and take a little bit of getting used to. But I'm sure after a, you know after a few minutes they'll be they'll be into the game and, and into the competitive elements and fundamentally they're professionals as well. They're all going to be on win bonuses and things like that. So there's, there's still motivations there for them. There's still things to be done this season, things to be won for United, top four to be made. So it's going to be a strange experience, especially for for those of us watching. But it's it just needs must at the moment. It's the, the, the best worst case scenario, isn't it? I don't think the option yeah. of not playing until fans back, you know, there's a few petitions and things like that knocking around. It's it's completely implausible. Um, I mean, any football fan who thinks they are at, at the forefront of of the sport now is is kidding themselves. That's not the case anymore. It's a business. You know, the, the fans contribute to it massively and football without fans isn't the same. But unfortunately, the idea of waiting until fans are back just isn't feasible. There'll be barely a sport left if we're, if we're waiting that long so the way I looked at it though was that the fans are still playing a part in terms of they're watching on TV aren't they and then it's not the same direct influence yeah it is the, then the fans are the fans are still playing a part the fans are still yeah, yeah and also though, in terms of the fans as well in a way even though they can't maybe go to the games this is still maybe reinforcing their importance and the role they play because players now are really never take having a full crowd for granted again will they when they when it does get back to normality yeah, yeah that's probably a good point actually they'll, they'll probably be more aware yeah, exactly. of, yeah. although uh, the atmosphere the atmosphere is yeah. probably a background hum at times to them but it's probably like you said by, by playing in an empty stadium and a cavernous empty stadium at that they are probably more aware of of what they kind of hear subconsciously during games rather than consciously yeah, exactly. I think all of us, uh, all three of us here on this podcast will have um, been to watch local like non-league and lower league football as well. We know that the Premier League coming back then opens the door and it opens the the ways for the, for the lower leagues to get back underway. I know League One, League Two aren't, but the Championship is. But it's all an important process. But football is coming home. That's the main part. And I guess, Dom, on, on in terms of the atmosphere, um, United have to take the positive from the fact that when they last played in the Europa League, the last actual game before the uh, football was postponed, they, they played in front of an empty stadium and they, the, the fact there was no hostile home crowd really helped United. Yeah, and no doubt it, it, it may help them with some tricky looking away games that are coming up in the Premier League, which might uh, have maybe been a little bit more intimidating than than they will be. It's somewhere like Villa Park, I think United are due to go to, obviously Tottenham coming up soon. They could have been, um, you know, you could have been quite hostile to environments for United to be going into so I think Luke Shaw's been writing a a diary on the United website every week and he he spoke about uh, why he thinks United can benefit from that last Europa League game where obviously they won 5-0 the last game they played and use that experience going into playing in empty stadiums Uh, and then he said in his most recent one which I think obviously will come on to these practice games United have been having how the pitch felt bigger at Old Trafford without Mm -hmm. the, the fans there they didn't feel maybe as has closed in with the fans on top of them. So that'll be something to get you used to. And like Tyron said, United players are absolutely at the top of their game, you know, elite professionals. I don't I actually don't think it'll affect them as much as maybe fans would like to think it would, if you know yeah. what I mean. I think they'll they'll get on with it. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned there about the big away games coming up. United also have Brighton away before the end of the season. Brighton is a team United haven't beaten away in the Premier League yet, of course. They've got a torrid record at the Amex. Norwich away in the FA Cup. I know they were comfortable winners at Carrow Road in the league, but FA Cup quarter-final potentially becoming much easier in front of no home fans. And then last day of the season as well, Leicester away for United. That could, depending on maybe even the Man City appeal this week, that could be a straight shootout for Champions League football. That's a huge bonus for United potentially. And uh, Ty, uh, uh, Dom, 
alluded to it there, these practice matches. And you enjoyed text messages off me frantically over the weekend as United uh, arrived at Old Trafford and there's miscommunication errors. But yeah, United are having these practice matches. Uh, I know you'll maybe have more insight than some of us into this. But so, I mean, if I want to come at it from a neutral point of view, what's the point of United playing these practice matches? And particularly, why have they played one at Old Trafford? Um, I suppose the first one at, at Old Trafford um, was partly about fitness. I mean, it's kind of just a training game, really, between two sets of, of players at United. I think it, there's a fitness element to it in that they are they're playing a 90-minute game, although it's only going to be as you know a certain level of competitiveness. If you're Paul Pogba facing Bruno Fernandes, then you're not going to go in ankle high and, and risk injuring one of your teammates. So it's not going to be played at 100% intensity. But I think the benefit of playing at Old Trafford as well is kind of getting used to the surroundings, as Luke Shaw said in, in that diary, and used to how it feels to, to play to play there with no fans there. And a, a lot of it is just kind of get, getting used to the new protocols and getting used to the experience. But there's a huge fitness element here. I mean, when, when United play on uh, Friday, it's going to be 100 days since their last competitive game, just over three months. And that's longer. I think that's longer than every, pre, every summer gap between seasons yeah. they've had in the last 10 or 15 years or something like that. So it, it is a complete, and although they've not gone on holiday and, and done what they normally do in pre-season, they have continued to have some kind of fitness work. It's been limited in what they can do. So it's inevitable they're going to have lost some edge. They're going to be behind in match sharpness. So th- there's that element to it as well. They obviously then want to play games against other teams. They're supposed to play Stoke on Tuesday, as we know, and that turned into a, a bit of a nightmare really that Stoke travelled and then find out that their manager had tested positive from the test the day before. So, I mean, arguably, arguably a luck, a, almost a lucky escape there. I mean, I presume the game was scheduled so that they would have the test results by then. But, yeah, you know, had there been any delay in that and the game had started and and Michael O'Neill's on the touchline at Carrington, then obviously there's a, there's a much greater risk of transmission as it was. The Stoke players and officials never had any contact with with United and there's, there's no real concern over United to the point that they're just continuing the Premier League protocol for testing rather than doing any more of their own. So they're not overly concerned that there's been an issue there. But it, it's obviously a, a blow to them. They couldn't have that game. Um, then I, it looks like they're trying to play West Brom tomorrow at, at Old Trafford now. And they were looking to play, ideally, a couple of games. So um, we'll see whether it's just the two tomorrow where they try and squeeze one in early next week as well. But I think it shows how how much they want to get some kind of match fitness into the players before next Friday. Yeah, I guess um, even throughout this, I mean, when... The first rumours like two months ago that the football would return eventually. I remember Daniel James gave an interview and he said that they had to have this sort of mini pre-season before the start of the season. And I guess that's all it is at the moment, isn't it, Dom? These matches will be akin to what you'd expect in pre-season. Of course, when football comes back next Friday as well for United, they're going to have the luxury of being able to use five substitutions. So it's not just for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to get that best 11 and maybe a couple of players he wants to bring on, but you've got to have two fully fit sides almost because it's two games a week and there's going to be more substitutions allowed. Yeah, I mean, it could make a little bit of a mockery of, of what some people have been writing in terms of how can you get Pogba and Fernandez on the same side? What's he going to do with Agarlo? These options are now seemingly at Solskjaer's disposal with, with everybody back fit. Um, obviously, with a break, giving Pogba and Rashford uh, the chance to recover from their injuries. That may not come into it too much if there's five substitutions and so many games in a short space of time. It's, it's just going to be... Like you say, you need as many fit players as possible. You're going to need at least 20 first-teamers. You might even change a goalkeeper around. Who knows? So that's one element we haven't really considered, maybe, with uh, with these pieces that we've been writing. Uh, although I'm sure when uh, we start again uh, against uh, Tottenham, 
Solskjaer's going to have to pick his strongest team, mm. also his fittest team, because there will be some. There will be some divergence in how fit people have kept uh, in lockdown. Some people may have done more than uh, they've been asked, and some people probably have done less, just depending on the player. So that'll be one to keep an eye out on the uh, on the first game back. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see that uh, the tactical approach, particularly against Tottenham. And you can already see it, can't you? Tottenham one 0 up in the 90th minute, five subs in a row for Mourinho. Masterclass. Well, you can't do uh, that, can you? I don't think you can do can you that. Not? I think they, put, uh, they, have to, they have to be made over three blocks. So I'm not okay. sure you can. You maybe you could do five at once. I yeah. think the, the point is that you can't do five separate ones and waste so much time with a, a, a pause for each substitution. I think that's the way it's been working in Germany. So it's three blocks. Yeah. So you probably could do I, five at once. Call me a cynic though, but what if someone gets injured right at the end? Maybe if you've used four and you and you maybe plan a plan. I mean, accusing someone of planning an injury is is libelous. I'm not. Yeah, I'm, that, not, but... I'm sure I saw a game in Germany where there was four used, and maybe it's a legitimate injury. There might be some kind of leeway there. Um, I guess managers might just save a substitution. I mean, the thing, what it does for United is it probably allows them to start Pogba and Rashford together on uh, on Friday when. I don't think Solskjaer would have taken that risk if there was only three subs, knowing that both mm. uh, are playing their first game in five months for, for Rashford and five and a half for Pogba. Now you can start them both together and just you almost tell them both plays for 60 minutes. We'll use two substitutions as a block on 60 minutes, 70 minutes and, and take you off. And if one of them picks up an injury before then, then you know you've got that sub. Whereas previously, if you knew two of your three subs were going to be used on, on Pogba and Rashford, it gives you very little sort of room to, to influence the game tactically. So the, the, the rule change has probably allowed Solskjaer to be able to start them both straight away and, and have a little bit more of a, a comfort blanket on the bench. It's definitely benefiting United now, I think, the rule change. Whereas earlier in the season, United wouldn't have had five decent bench options to bring on. You know, the, the squad looks so thin at times. Mm. Uh, obviously, the addition of Fernandez and Igalo in January and these players coming back from injury, they really have you know boosted that that depth that Solskjaer has been talking about that he needs to have and the fans are now talking about that as well in terms of summer signings who's going to come in you can't really just talk in terms of uh, just a first 11 anymore and, and this situation will will only serve to highlight that well you mentioned transfers there Don it's a nice segue onto our next yeah, section as well which, you, it, yeah well I've, I've needed someone to do that for the last three months sadly and no one's stepped <laughs> up to the place so <laughs> I've still got those slots to fill haven't you got some holiday um, books for when, they, when the season restarts yeah, I was um, talk about that. Yeah, I was maybe gently pushed towards taking some enforced holiday before the uh, before the Premier League comeback was announced. I mean, I was next Friday. I was meant to be in Rome anyway for the Euros to watch Wales crash out against Italy. Right. But instead, that's been delayed for a year. So um, I, I I extended my it's an extender. Aunt Partridge said. Yes. Um, it's gone extended. from it's gone from a four day weekend to a ten day weekend, which means right. I will miss the first first week and a half of Premier League action. After three which, months of writing about football. After three months. <laughs> yeah, it's like getting excited for Christmas Day and then waking up on the twenty fifth of December saying it's been pushed back a month. Yeah, okay. <laughs> just, any whale just heartbreak has been pushed back by twelve months. So yeah, which I think I can deal with just about. But um, yeah. yeah, transfers. Uh, we were took part in a piece yesterday, all of us, and which we we posed the hypothetical question really of if United could sign either Jack Grealish, Donny Van Der Beek, or Kai Havertz this summer, who would you go for? Dom, who did you pick out of that trio? I went for Van Der Beek, um, which. I don't know if that's if that's a silly choice and whether it, whether it's, it's it's a player United actually need because he's probably quite similar to Bruno Fernandes 
uh, as an out and out number ten, a real you know playmaker, genuine uh, create creative player. Was somebody like Grealish, who was obviously has been on United's radar for some time now. He seems to have maybe a bit more versatility and a bit more uh, adaptability as well as that yeah. you know creative spark that United are looking for. I can't say, despite the fact like, the Bundesliga has been on for a few weeks, that I've seen too much of Kai Havertz. I did watch a three-minute compilation of his best goals today because it's his enough. birthday. So I watched that on Twitter and they were very, very impressive. But you don't tend to to see a true reflection of a player in a three-minute Twitter video. So uh, the, the only, the only, uh, the only um, exception to that rule is if you watch Bebe's crossing compilation against Wolves, in which it really tells you how the player was. Yeah, three minutes of just overhit crosses. Three minutes of a bad player probably tells you more than three minutes of a good player. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know too much about Havertz to be honest with you, and I don't think this. You know, we did this piece, and I think there is definitely merit in United going after a playmaker, but it's not their priority uh, in the transfer no, exactly. window, and nor should it be because I think right winger and Jaden Sancho is would make more of a difference to to their team going forward. Yeah, I think the reason I. I argued for Havertz was because he could play right wing and attack in mid. It's mainly if they didn't get Sancho. That's the only real situation you can see them really have to make a move for him this summer. But um, I guess the the other one here, I mean, I'm going to come to you on this tag, but Jack Grealish maybe is not getting the credit he deserves. He's not as glamorous as name maybe as the other two players. But we saw last summer, Matthias De Litt went to Italy and he struggled there. Someone like Donny van der Beek was less influential maybe in the Ajax team. To come to the Premier League is a huge step up, whether yeah. he's got a good reputation or not. Well, yeah. Jack, Jack Grealish out of the three is the only one who's proven himself in the Premier League. Oh yeah, definitely. And he is, I mean, he is losing points on this. And let's be honest, if, if we put a, a poll out, he would lose points because he's called Jack Grealish. The other two are called yeah. Donny van der Beek and Kai Havertz. I mean, Cool names, aren't they? Absolutely no yeah. chance, has he? Um, they, are, they are very cool names. Uh, the Ajax thing is interesting because Delitz struggled. Frankie de Jong's not really made much of an impact at, at Barcelona to the point that, I mean, you'd, you'd have thought de Jong was an absolute natural fit for Barcelona, but he, he's really sort of struggled in in that deep midfield role. He's not made it his own at all. And it, it is the case that you've almost taken two players out of such a well-drilled system at Ajax and have struggled elsewhere. So there is that possibility with, with Van der Beek. Um, I wonder with Van der Beek whether it's, this is sort of Ajax's attempt to try and keep his price high. I think there's going to be a lot of that this summer that clubs yeah. are going to be desperate not to... I mean, it's a buyer's market at the moment, isn't it? And the best way to try and keep prices high is to say, oh, well, I know you want Van der Beek, Real Madrid, but Manchester United want him now as well. Um, and Ajax kind of saying that does make me wonder whether it's kind of a, more of a, a message to Real Madrid that... Um, you know, this we don't think about low-balling us here because there is other interest in him. Um, obviously, he's a player United have admired, but I'm not sure he's top of that list at the moment. And I think out of those three, I would probably go with Grealish. Um, mm. But I, I do like. I think Havertz's versatility would be welcome. I mean, he's played as um, he's played as a number nine, really, or almost a false yeah. nine since the Bundesliga has been back and. You could kind of see him filling in for that role for for Martial. I mean, he's he's a tall um, for a playmaker. He's he's tall. I think he's about six foot. So you could yeah. you could see him filling in for Martial and almost playing attacking midfield. And like I say, he can play on the wing. He could, he could play Martial's role if needs be. So he does offer more 
options. Um, you two have now completely talked me out of Van der Beek. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was really foolish and wrong with with uh, my 200 words on why Donny Van der Beek was the perfect transfer target. So oh, I might it, just go it, and delete that one on, off the internet. I think it, it filled a slot. It filled a slot. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. a slot, didn't it? Yeah. Like so many. Well, you've, you've got to think there's a good chance he's going to end up at Bayern Munich. Um, yeah, that's, that's the problem. And the, and the verdict from Germany is still that Bayern are the favourites to get Havertz. He is open to move to the Premier League, but like they said, playing time is the important thing because he really wants to be starting for Germany next year in the Euros. Yeah. So yeah. like I mean, many players, it's, it's a difficulty, isn't it, with the Euros next summer because their move, if they were to move this summer, really does need to be the right one for playing time because they could easily play themselves either in or out of the squad. Yeah, and he, he must know he's going to play it. Bayern Munich, um, and they, I mean they look mm. like they're building something really exciting there as well. They've they've, they've got a very exciting squad at the moment. <laughs> I mean it was a terribly unfortunate coincidence that he just happened to pick up a muscle injury and didn't play against Bayern Munich at the weekend as well. Oh, uh, <laughs> what a... that, was, that was terribly timed for conspiracy theory fans. Um, oh, well, yeah, we'll see. Um... Staying in Germany is probably tempting to him, but. It, Again, what is there to achieve at Bayern Munich, really? You're going to win the league every year, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the only thing they really good for now is the Champions League, and it's almost, that's become bigger than the league for them themselves. And they're on the, for the trouble again this season. It'd be interesting to see how they uh, how they do sort of play when the Champions League comes back mm. around. Uh, we were on the subject of Bayern Munich reports this week saying that Quarantine Tolisso was a target for United. His agents can't say today and said, I'm not talking to Manchester United. Quarantine has currently injured his return. His main goal is to return to the pitch. Um, I mean, if we if we sort of wrote a story on every player linked to United, we would be here all day because there's two or three new names every single day. Um, I guess Maybe in terms of transfers, Timo Werner seems like he's on his way to Chelsea now. United have already extended the deal for Agarlo. That was uh, was that last week, I believe. Uh, early last week, it was confirmed by the club. Going into the summer window, Dom, all of a sudden, getting a striker doesn't seem such a priority. And you touched upon it before. If you get Jadon Sancho in, that's the one you can play across the front line anyway. Surely it's got to be all your eggs in one basket with someone like Sancho. And uh, you can wait for a striker now until either next January or next summer. Yeah, I think it was it was clever uh, for United to to tie down Agallo. Obviously, in the short term, he, he's needed for the rest of this season. Even though Rashford's back, it's important to have that. He's the only really out and out number nine that United have got. Agallo, Martial, you can't really say is is that. And Greenwood's played on the right. Rashford obviously looks better, has looked better off the left. So, I don't think striker should be a pressing concern in the trans in the transfer window now. There was obviously a lot of noise from uh, fans of uh, Liverpool and also some of United about Timo Werner, with obviously it looking very likely that he's going to Chelsea now. Uh, Liverpool fans are absolutely furious about that, which was uh, interesting considering their club's position in the league and <laughs> how well they've yeah. done it in the last couple of years without signing too many players and thought that was a bit bizarre. But yeah, I don't think we spoke about this a couple of months ago now, wasn't it, on a on a podcast where when we said what United's solution should be and whether they need a, a Harry Kane or a Timo Werner or a Moussa Dembele, someone who's going to come in and expect to be the main man uh, in the centre-forward position, what, you, what are you going to do with your other options when you want Mason Greenwood to develop and you want Anthony Martial to, to continue his form? So it, for me, it's the perfect solution for the time being. And I think there will maybe come a time when United have to... Uh, readdress the number nine position, but I don't think that time is now. I think um, 
first of all, I want to see what Greenwood's capable of over the next 12 months because mm. I think he could really hit the ground running when the season restarts. And, and next season, you know, we've only seen a small fraction of what he's capable of. So, yeah, him, Agarlo, Martial, Rashford, I think that's that's absolutely fine for the time being. Yeah, in touch point there, in terms of strikers, I mean, by the end of the season, it's probably likely that you've seen Rashford, Marshall and Greenwood all have their best ever senior seasons. Uh, Greenwood next summer could be going to the Euros if he does have a good season, like you said. To me as well, it seems like the striker option uh, is is okay for now. Could be interesting to see who leads the line next week against Tottenham. Uh, the news today, Deli Alley is banned for that game next Friday night. So, got to be seen as a boost for United in that regard but there are lots of players coming back for Tottenham as well Harry Kane Steven Bergvine Kingman Son will all be back in contention for Jose Mourinho's side it's going to be fascinating just to see the lineups next Friday night isn't it Ty? Yeah it is it is especially with I mean both of it, it, it's always been forgotten really but this the last media that Solskjaer did before the, the season was suspended was actually a little a little dig at Mourinho and it's almost a shame really that we didn't get a chance to see Mourinho's uh, response when, when Solskjaer was asked in Austria after that victory against LASK about how you know Mourinho had been complaining incessantly about missing Harry Kane and Son and all the injuries he's had to deal with and comparing it to the fact that United have been without Rashford and Pogba for, for so long and Solskjaer has made the point basically that he doesn't talk about it all the time. Um, he said while talking about it. He said yeah yeah while being asked about it to be fair yeah. but um, yeah he, he doesn't make quite as big a deal of, of the injuries he's had as, as Mourinho had so it was a shame that that edge got got lost really with the season being suspended both have now got pretty much fully fit squads to choose from and can play them with United I would lean towards we'll probably see the back three I think it's tended to be that way in, in the biggest games and it didn't use it at home against Tottenham but going away to them you would fancy that we might see the back three um, I think the mm. interesting thing is going to be sort of how they line up with Pogba and Fernandes in in the same midfield Um do you, do you think they'll both start? Because I, I, if I was put my neck on the line, I could easily see Pogba on the bench still, personally. I I think he'll start. I think what Solskjaer yeah. said about the substitute rule gives me the impression that he's going to use it to start both Pogba and um, Rashford. I mean, Pogba would be nice to have on the bench and in reserve and you could almost bring him on in Fernandez's position if, if he needed replacing with, with half an hour, 25 minutes to go. So there are... There's a lot of options there, but my hunch is that, yeah, that they will both start. Dom, yourself, what, what would you do in terms of selection for next week? Uh, well, I was asked to, to write a, a predicted team for this game uh, sometime last do week. not envy you. By our esteemed editor, uh, Liam Corliss, who I'm going to shout out. Because he, I didn't put Pogba in that team for the reasons that you say, Rich, and that I think that he may start from the bench having not played a full game for United since September. Obviously, he made yeah. those two substitute appearances around Christmas time, didn't he, before breaking down with that ankle injury again. So I thought that it would be uh, Fred McTominay and Fernandez in the midfield. It's hard to look past those three when you look at what they, they did before the break. Fred particularly was was absolutely phenomenal. Probably United's most consistent player this season. Um, yeah. McTominay obviously scored a fantastic goal against City and has been resurgent. The odd injury has hampered him, but he's been excellent. And then Fernandez, I mean, what can you say about his impact? Um, in the number 10 role. So where does that leave Pogba? He's got no sort of form to, to fall back upon. People say he, he's arguably the, the most talented player in the United squad. Um, but, you know, he's, he's got time to show that. He's got the, the games in front of him now to, to prove it. I just got a, got a little niggling feeling that Pogba won't start in that uh, Tottenham game. But there, you can record that and then put it out on uh, Friday night when the teams are announced and make me look silly. 
Yeah, well, I, I, mean, I mean, I can see both your points of view. I've, from my point of view, the only thing I see is Pogba and Fernandes because, you know, he's attacking midfield, but you're playing Tottenham away. It's perfect for United's counter-attacking side anyway. I just think, even, I mean, another player there is Matic. He's been superb this calendar year, at least. And I just wonder if maybe you'd go Matic, Fred, Fernandes for, for that game away at Tottenham and then bring Pogba on for half an hour later on. But that's what's so fascinating. That's what's interesting to see next week. Um, I guess the final point is, uh, does Javi want to give a prediction? How do we predict a game when there's not been any football for three months? This <laughs> yeah. is just exactly. Made, this is just set up for to to make us fail, isn't it? Well, I mean, in terms of the the, the tactical masterclass as well. I mean. Solskjaer did a job on Mourinho back in December as part of that week, which almost, I mean, there was reports early last December of Solskjaer being at risk of losing his job, remember? And then he has the win against City, he has the win against Tottenham, and all of a sudden it's it's all smiles again at United. And Mourinho's going to have a real point to prove, isn't he? I mean, the fact that this is Solskjaer, the man who was his caretaker replacement, and to think that his team's now above Spurs in the league everyone was saying that Mourinho could revolutionise Spurs be the short term fix but he's still not proving himself really he's not really ever I mean since Mourinho's been back has he really had that big win where everyone started to believe that Tottenham can actually do something under him No Tottenham have been poor been really poor actually especially before the break when they went on a I think it was a six game run without winning Yeah it's Mourinho's longest ever winless run in his managerial career at the moment I mean again that's another caveat United are technically 11 unbeaten aren't they but I don't think we can give them that it's not going to be 12 next Friday is it uh, well, I think it'll be 12 next Friday I think United won't lose next Friday I know but I think my, my point is can you say that's an unbeaten run still well I think I think you can and I think this, I mean we're all looking at like the leagues that have started to take lessons from it and obviously these away wins that are, are interesting but yeah. in the Bundesliga as well teams did tend to keep their form whether it was good or bad and I mean, when Schalke have been awful, haven't they? Yeah. yeah, when everyone watched that first game, that Dortmund Schalke game, and they came out and Stephen Manaman said Dortmund have been in great form. Everybody kind of mocked him, and you know, mocking Stephen Manaman is is like shooting fish in a barrel. Really, it's pretty yeah. easy to do, isn't it? But to be fair, Schalke were awful for a few weeks before the season was suspended, and they've come back and been awful since. Bayer Leverkusen were flying when the season was suspended, and then won their first two games, three one and four one away. So there were signs that teams did kind of keep some momentum going whether good or bad so I think there's a with it being away as well especially and there's going to be pressure on home teams I think there's a decent chance United can can get a result um, it, yeah. I mean they had that they had that win against City um, yeah. which was kind of labelled as Mourinho's turning points but then since then they've had this six game winless streak and you've got to think United will go there pretty confident in getting a result yeah, and everything you said there, to me personally, it seems like United are the team with nothing to lose. They play on a counter-attack anyway. They're better away from home. They like playing the free at the back. Tottenham have to come out and attack. Tottenham have to get a result that's going to make people's heads turn. They need a result. If Tottenham don't win next Friday, you can basically say their top four hopes are gone, yeah, really. Definitely. So, you know, for me, it just seems like United have nothing to lose compared to Spurs, really. It seems like the, you know, the impetus is all on Tottenham to come out and make, a, make an impression that should suit United well. Yeah, and the, opt- the optimism that... The- everyone's feeling now with football returning um, makes me feel like United can can feel optimistic as well. And Spurs, you know, the break in the season was probably a blessing for Spurs. Uh, they, they probably didn't want to come back because of the way they were playing. They were playing <laughs> such turgid football. Um, so you asked me for a prediction, Rich, and I'm, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to say United are going to win 2-1. Wow, there we go. Just like that. That's the ballsy approach I wanted from Dolphins. talk. 
Yeah, but um, yeah, we'll play that to you next Saturday morning, uh, Dom, when uh, United have lost 4-0. Um, we'll make sure that's, uh, that's clipped and put on all the social medias. But uh, no, we are looking forward to the football next week. Uh, we should be back as well next week, maybe as well for another podcast. We're not too sure. It depends on rotor issues, staffing issues, all that fun that we have at the MEM. But Dom, Ty, thank you very much for joining us this week on Manchester's Red Podcast. You. Uh, we, you're very welcome. Uh, we will be back again at some point. Please do leave a like and subscribe if you can't, if you haven't already. Uh, we will be doing weekly episodes guaranteed when the season does get back underway. So now is a good time as ever to listen for our back catalogue and get excited next week, Friday night, Knights versus Spurs. Uh, we'll see you there. Thank you very much for listening and join us again next time. <laughs>